The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to Spin the Rally Pod in 2022 with the season live, properly live. The Monte Carlo Rally has been completed. That is round one on the World Rally Championship. Chalked up and what an event it was. I'm Lisa O'Sullivan, your rally fan. Now joining me will be George Donaldson, former motorsport team boss, as well as Colin Clark, the man they call the voice of rally, and senior staff writer at dirtfish.com, David Evans. But... We had a little bit of an issue. George and I, bright-eyed and bushy tails, ready in position to record, but David and Colin weren't able to be there at the same time. So, we have recorded separately, George and I sharing our thoughts on this fantastic event, as David and Colin, sitting in a darkened car park, fought over the microphone somewhere between Monte Carlo and Italy to record their thoughts. They sound like they're a little bit overexcited, I think, so bear with them. What we've done is we've chopped up the two and we've mixed them together. I mean, it's going to be absolutely seamless, kind of. Anyway, bear with us. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to give us any feedback, at Dirtfish Rally is the way to get in touch. And don't forget to check out all your bonus content on dirtfish.com. David, yeah, you know, Monte Carlo Rally, always a great way to start the season. Uh, particularly fascinating this time round with the introduction of the Rally 1 car, which it was fair to say uh, we, we, there was a, bit of, a little bit of concern, certainly during, during the, the development process, a little bit of concern about how it would work. And I think it's also fair to say that it held up pretty well. There was, a, there was an awful lot of concern, wasn't there? You know, I, I wrote some pieces with Compact Dynamics with, Oliver Blamberger earlier in or midway through last year, and there was there was genuine. It was new parts being introduced to new cars, and they were failing. And but that's part of the development process. It's it's, and maybe we were too harsh. I think on reflection, perhaps we were. We didn't give them time to to actually. Why why, why we why, why we? I don't really think I made any public comment on it. I think it was you <laughs> that was too harsh. You're guilty by association, clearly. Okay, I was I was too harsh uh, and too quick to judge. Uh, and we have to absolutely take our hats off to them, to Oliver and to his entire team, and say great job because there were some hiccups with 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 hybrid. I remember watching. Was it Callie's car coming in on on the back of a truck after shakedown? There were issues at shakedown, and we immediately thought, "Oh no, this is it!" And and from when we saw the Monte Carlo route come out, without that service on Friday lunchtime and Saturday lunchtime, the whole prospect of these cars going a full day it scared the life out of every technical director in the service park. No problems, no major significant hybrid failures, uh, the odd glitch, but great job. Yeah, the, the glitches uh, were more than to be expected. The fact that they all performed as they more or less should perform during the course of the rally was, was uh, you know, testament to just how good a job Compact Dynamics have done. 
Uh, the fact that, you know, when we had that final in control yesterday, we've not talked about the most important thing yet, but we're going to get onto that shortly. You know, nine of the 11 Rally 1 cars that started the event were there, and the only yeah. two that didn't make it were, uh, were not there because of silly mistakes from the drivers, particularly from Adrian Formore. I think Tanak was just a bit overambitious on the ice. Uh, but let's talk about Sebastian Loeb. The freezing of having Sebastian Loeb and Sebastian Augier going head-to-head Let's talk about tyre choices, George, because a lovely tweet from Loeb as well, basically saying that um, there is no way to get the right tyre choice for Monte Carlo. Whatever, cho- Whichever tyre you choose, you'll be wrong somewhere in Monte Carlo, yeah. effectively, well, the, to, to praise yeah, that. The, the, the nicest thing that was played out in public was that Sebastian made his choice a little bit bold, and then Sebastian Loeb, and then he came along and was going to stop before the stage uh, so that he could hide his choice. But he ended up going a little bit too far and had to park next to Sebastian Ogier, who saw Seb's choice. He saw that Seb was effectively on the asphalt choice <laughs> and like he'd that. left his snow tyres in the boot. Now, Seb had two... I think Seb had two snow tyres and Seb, Seb Ogier had two snow tyres and Seb Loeb had two snow tyres with studs. So it was slightly different. Uh, but Seb had stuck to Seb, Seb Loeb had just stuck to his asphalt tires. So Ogier quickly changed his back because he thought, okay, I think I can get the measure of of, of Mr. Loeb here if we're on the same. But if if I it's if I go differently, yeah, if, well, I, if, if I go different, I might win a lot, but I might lose a lot. I could lose the win or lose the rally here. So he he rather preserve the option of what was going to happen to the next day. So take take that take the risk element out of it. And you you could make a direct comparison to uh, the last Formula One race with um, when Hamilton Hamilton had had no choice but to stay out. Uh, If he had had a choice, he would have come in. But but his position was such that he couldn't come in to change his tyres and and maintain what he had. So uh, there's an analogy there. It's it's not direct, but uh, similar sort of concept. But... Um, Seb Ogier managed to catch it and put himself on the same ground as as Mr Loeb. Ultimately, that did actually cost Seb Ogier the win because of everything else that happened, which if we take it, that would have happened anyway. Uh, If he'd got into that stage, his teammate, who was on snow tyres, he was fastest. So that was uh, Rovenpera was quickest in, in this, on the Cisteron stage the second time through there. And uh, the, the, the result was that um, that's what Seb would have changed to. He would have gone, I don't know, even faster than Seb. He probably would have taken 30-odd seconds out of Seb, Seb Loeb in that stage. So he would have won. Bizarre, bizarre. Yeah. But it was, it was still, still tactically, it was the smart thing to do. And uh, there was nobody second-guessing him until he got a puncture the next day. So and that was yeah yeah I mean Colin did a bit of an analysis about uh, what happened to him on he, he made quite a big cut which obviously was in the notes but there would have been a risk element to it that that Loeb maybe didn't take and and you pay the penalty of a puncture which you will in Monte Carlo you know Monte Carlo is all about punctures rocks come off the off the rock faces next to the road all the time even though you're right pushing right on the limit you've got to keep a little bit something in reserve on the areas where you know that rocks can come down because you may have to move your line very slightly to miss a big rock that will just inevitably take, give you a puncture. And you've got to be careful on the cuts as well. Oh, my goodness me. Let's talk about Sunday in particular. Um, Loeb was just magnificent. And, you know, I, you know, I went on record as saying uh, in the last 
episode of Spin the Rally Pod that I really couldn't see Loeb being competitive here. Not at the top. I did say that. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. Uh, You know, but I had very good reason to say that. You know, last time we saw him was Monte Carlo two years ago, and he was awful. He he was, you know, I say he was awful. He was awful if you compare him to the magnificence of Loeb that we've seen in the past. Now, you're you're going about to contradict me. What? Well, technically, last time we saw him was on the podium in Turkey. (laughs) Yeah, that technically. Last time we saw him on tarmac, shall we say. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. And even Turkey, he wouldn't have made the podium had we not had absolute carnage in Turkey. That's a very good point. I think, you know, the point you have to make here is that Loeb never felt comfortable in the Hyundai on tarmac. And that was the, the, the for me, that was one of the driving forces in him coming back here because he left uh, Monte Carlo in 2020 with a real question mark. And drivers like him, they've never really questioned themselves. You know, you've got these great champions who just have such self-belief. Uh, and he'd got that he, throughout his career. Without, he's never been an arrogant person. He's never, you know, there's not an arrogant bone in Sebastian Loeb's body. But he'd always believed in himself. And you kind of see that, you know, when you're a gymnast or something, what you need for that sport specifically is absolute self-belief that you're going to nail everyone. As we saw when he, when he did a somersault on the podium, he's got self-belief. He questioned his own self-belief probably for one of the first times in his entire career when he left Monte Carlo in 2020. He wanted to come back, and there's part of him that wanted to say, have I lost it? And he absolutely emphatically answered that he hasn't lost it. You know, he can drive when the car works for him, when he's comfortable in the car, he can still do it. He can work his magic. I just think it's quite astonishing. You know, it really is quite astonishing because, you know, you and I have been around long enough. We've talked to people who know more about these things than we do. Uh, you know, and it's all about relevance. It's all about seat time. It's all about building up your ability to cope with these cars at, at this pace. And yes, Loeb has had a fair amount of seat time over the past couple of years, but you know, they're incomparable. You know, the, the Dakar beast that ProDrive have, have built is a fantastic car, but it's nothing like these Rally 1 cars, nor is the extreme e-vehicle that he drives, whatever they call that. What do they call those things? Odyssey. The Odyssey, that's it. Um, but, you know, but everyone says it, it shouldn't be possible. It shouldn't be possible to have so long a way from competing at the very highest level, get back in the car. And, and you know, Friday evening, he was the best of the best. There is no question about that. Absolutely. There are aspects that we need to understand here, though. It's the Monte Carlo rally. It's a rally that he understands tremendously well. We talked again about it being a dry rally. It wasn't. There were certain patches of ice, snow and ice. His gravel crew worked perfectly with him. One thing that's really impressive is 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 the way Isabel Garmish, Garmish came in into the car and worked brilliantly. But yeah, Monty, he knows it. And also, these were new cars. These were so it was a kind of a levelish playing field. Definitely. If he was if he was going to come back, it was a good time to do it um, because obviously there was a lot more weight in the car. Um, and in some ways, he made this point himself that he didn't have the kind of preconceptions from a year of driving a world rally car, did he? He wasn't absolutely used to the car doing exactly what he expected. You know, everybody else had come from Monza, say, I don't know, six weeks earlier, when they knew they'd got this much power, that kind of torque curve, and everything was exactly the same sort of rally and the same sort of stages. So they came into Monty with that almost quite fresh in their mind. He didn't. He came in with sand dunes fresh in his mind. So it, it was a levelish playing field. It was an opportunity for him to demonstrate 
what he could do, and he and he did just that. Yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? And you know, they went out on Sunday morning, David, and and we all thought Ogier had it in the bag, and he did have it in the bag. And you know, we had four stages, sixty-seven kilometers. First couple of stages went perfectly for him. Thirty odd k's to go. He's got a lead of what twenty-five or so seconds. I know you hate when I say things like that. You know, you're tapping away furiously. It was twenty-five or so seconds. There was no pressure on Sebastian Ogier. None whatsoever, other than the pressure he puts on himself. And and you know, and he was going quick and, and through that stage that cut that he took that resulted in the puncture, well you know, was it necessary? Had everyone else gone in as deep as that? It, it was a strange thing to do when, when you're you're driving cruising almost to the win. Hundred percent agree. I I can't imagine um why he did it. He committed to a cut that was unnecessary, like you say, he'd got a big lead. It was twenty four point something, I think, not twenty five. Um twenty five or so seconds is twenty four. That's even worse. Twenty four point something, I'm sure you'll think it's something around there. It was twenty four point one point two point three point four it was around twenty four or twenty five seconds. He had a good he had a good lead. But the point the, the point I think and this is kind of dodgy ground here with, with Sebastian Auger, but I do wonder if was it because Sebastian Loeb was behind him? And because there is still an aspect, I absolutely believe that Sebastian Loeb gets into Sebastian Augier's head. I still believe that, you know, he can never forget. You know, you look back at Augier's career and once Loeb went, nobody really challenged him again, did they? You know, he had that year in, what was it, 12, when he was in the, in the Skoda, in the S2000 car. But when he hit the ground running in 13 with, with, the, with the Volkswagen, he lost Monty to Seb, to, to Loeb, which was fair enough because their Volkswagen was still finding their feet with Apollo. But from then on, oh, forget it. Tanak beat him in, in 19. When he was in the Citroen, when, when, and, and it was when Ogier was in the Citroen, and it just wasn't giving him the tools he needed. Exactly. So the, the one guy, you know, that he looked back in his career that he wanted to beat across a whole season was, was Loeb. Um, and, I, you know, there was an awful lot back then. You look back to that Rally Germany and those incredible scenes when he, he said what he said. Uh, there's just... Well, I'm going to tell you what he said was, today I have seen there is justice in this sport. The greatest line I've ever heard at a stop line. And, and what had happened to Sebastian so Loeb? What, what... No, 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 that was just what had happened to Sebastian Loeb. Well, he picked up a puncture. So, so no, could you now not just reverse exactly? Oh, very good point, David Evans. Yeah. yeah. Sebastian Loeb not have sat at that stop line and said, "Today we've seen justice." Today I have seen there is justice in this sport. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I kind of agree with you, but but I also think that there is you know, there's. Oj was feeling more and more comfortable with that yeah. car, and he was enjoying it more and more. And he's got he's got a you know a style, and he's got a rhythm that he finds. And, you know, that, that taking those risks, finding that ultimate pace in the stage is what OJ is all about. And we saw it in the final stage. You know, take out that 10-second time penalty and, and OJ blew everyone away in that final stage. That's what he is capable of. That's what he does best. He was doing it a stage early, but, you know, but that, that's just him, I think. And, and he may look back on it and he may, may regret it a little bit, but... What? 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 It's not, but it's not him. It's not him. It's, it's him. It's not. It's not him. We've never. Well, not. Not. Okay. The last few years, he's been a little bit more uh, and thoughtful about the way he does things, and and perhaps a little more intelligent. But also, he's never been a driver who has driven to the absolute maximum on every corner. 
once he's got a rally won, he's controlled it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so he's not, you know, we've never seen him taking risk until the very end. That's very true. When I say, yeah, and, and, but, but he is a driver, and we saw it during the rally, early on in the rally, where he can take massive chunks out of them when he finds a rhythm that he's comfortable with. Okay, when he has to push, and it tended to be the power stage over the years, he did quite astonishing things. I remember Mexico a few years ago where we all assumed he'd taken a shortcut. He was, I think, eight or nine seconds quicker. Maybe not quite eight or nine seconds, somewhere around that, David, just to wind you up. Uh, quicker than everyone else. Um, but, yeah, it, it just was a strange thing. But, but anyway, he didn't win it. The man that won it was Sebastian Loeb with Isabel Garmisch next to him. Uh, just the most incredible story. His 80th win of his career, his eighth Monte Carlo the, win. The element of watching an entire competition but effectively having your gaze drawn by two competitors going head-to-head did, did have that extra... It just made the Monte Carlo rally the best way oh, to start the season fantastic. this year. It was just, it was superb. Yeah. And Sunday, with that puncture, and it, I just, again, giddy with excitement about what was going to happen in the final final few kilometres of the event. It was it was amazing. Well, you know, rallying uh, this, this sport, WRC, seems to give us a, a ridiculous amount of these incredible photo finish type events, you know, where we're on tenter hooks going into the last day. <laughs> you think it's all over, the, the day starts... Yeah, it's all pretty inevitable, and then bang, in it comes, in it comes. Rally, rally, rally delivers the drama for us, and all of a sudden the tables are turned. And in this case, you know, Seb Loeb won this rally by half a second, plus a ten-second penalty <laughs> for Roger, which made it ten and a half seconds, not not half a second. So I'm glad to say that that ultimately that jump start didn't decide who was the winner or the loser, um, uh, although it did in a way as well. So Seb actually won it on the race, face to face on speed uh, uh, over the course of the day without time penalties taken into account. So I love the unfinished business element of oh, this as well. well. I it, mean, okay, now here's the next thing. Here's the here's the big thing now. Why is Seb Loeb, who had, coming into this event, totally doubted his ability? His confidence had been shattered. The last time he was driving for a team, which was Hyundai, a couple of years ago, his confidence was shattered. He he was lost. He came into this event. I don't know what motivated him to do it. Um, I'm glad he was. He came back in maybe a little bit feeling of unfinished business. He came back into this event and has actually proven to himself, to, to the, the world at large, that... Um, he can do it in any car. I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things for him. Not the Monte Carlo win. The biggest thing for him is he's won an event in another make. That's the first time he's done that. Yeah. All these other wins were in Citroëns. Now he's got one in Ford. So he was coming into this event and, you know, he plays with the Formula E and he goes and does the long distance rallies. All great fun. I saw a Seb Loeb that was energised in Monte Carlo. Totally energised and totally realising that he's still got it. That was the biggest thing of all. Now we're right at the start of the year. He's got this incredible result. I mean, how 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 watertight are all these contracts for all these other things? Well, that that is the question, isn't it? This, I mean, come on, you can't tease us. I would say to him, you know, it's a month till Sweden. The Swedish rallies uh, entries would still be open as Monte Carlo closed. Get your entry in. Get your entry in there, and and you know, speak to Red Bull. Red Bull want a world champion. Well. They've got one in the making. They've got a backup with Craig Breen, who's possibly a world champion there as well. Why would you not yeah. do it? Why would you not do it? Stop playing around with 
I mean, Formula E, not Formula E, the the Extreme E. You know, great fun, but it's just you know what is it? It's it's rally cross something or Dakar light. I'm not buying into it myself. Deeply underwhelmed by extremely after all its promise. Deeply underwhelmed so, as well. Before we move away from yeah. that, can we also talk about his co-driver as well? Yes, Isabel. <laughs> the fantastic performance, Isabel, Isabel Gelmish, who. I am reliably informed, didn't bother telling any of the students that she teaches that her hobby was going to involve co-driving the nine-time world champion Sebastian Loeb well, she has, in the Monte Carlo yeah, rally. she has co-driven for quite a few years. I mean, she's done WRC rallies otherwise, but not with, obviously, Seb Loeb, but with, with WRC two drivers. I think she's done Germany, at least, possibly some others. I believe this was her first Monte Carlo rally, but I don't know if that's actually correct. But to go out and win that, you know, she'll be all over the front of L'Equipe magazine this morning. Uh, she, apparently she's all over all over <laughs> French national news, everything. <laughs> I mean, the first female winner of the Monte Carlo rally since Fabrizia Pons yeah. in 1997. Yeah, it just gives me a thrill <laughs> to think about it. I mean, she is my driver of the rally. Now, bearing in mind that co-drivers are drivers, she's my driver of the rally, categorically. Seb Loeb did a pretty good job. His co-driver did even better. Yeah, she was just maximum. That's great, and I don't want to take anything away from poor old Seb's uh, Seb Ogier's co-driver first time in the car as well. He must have been looking for the win just as desperately. Yeah. But you know, sorry, Isabel gets it. They won. They, they get the, the maths teacher got the numbers right. She'll not for be that one. She'll not be teaching much maths on the first lesson for all her students <laughs> this this week anyway. They're going to be having a holiday. M Sport, though, we, we got to talk about M Sport. How do they keep doing it? What is it in the mentality of that company that seems to almost guarantee that whenever we get a brand new type of car, the best one that's built, first one uh, that, uh, that, that shows real performance, real pace, real ability, is the M Sport car? How do they keep doing it? I don't know. It would be a different story, of course, if 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 he hadn't taken that cut, if he hadn't got that puncture, but he did, and and you're right, that is the result. That 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 cut and that puncture will be forgotten about by this time next week. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the thing that we have to to point out really here as well with this particular M Sport project is there's probably more Ford involvement, Ford Ford performance involvement in this uh, than has been for an awfully awfully long time, um, and that is what has paid real dividends here. The fact that they've been able to go out and work on the, the simulator in Charlotte, uh, the fact that they've had so much more just input from Ford across every technical aspect of the car. They understand how to work with a hybrid. That was something that was completely new to M Sport, wasn't it? You know, they'd never done anything like that. So to have uh, a resource like Ford Performance to draw on um, was was incredible. And But as well, Let's not forget that the M Sport has been in this sport since 1997 at the very highest level. No team has anything like the experience that they can draw on. Okay, they don't have the likes of George Black now, who's their their tired genius who was always with them. He's gone now, but there are still enough people in that team that that can remember. Yeah, ten years ago we did this, or twelve years ago when the weather was coming in that way, we did that. It it breeds real confidence and then when you add some a driver like Sebastian Loeb into that equation just like in 17 you bought Sebastian Auger in and in some ways Auger's story in 17 was was almost as impressive as Loeb's here because he'd had very very little testing uh in the Fiesta before they got in the car 
Um, so no, I, they are just a bunch, you know, you can't say they're a bunch of very hardworking people because Hyundai are the same, Toyota are the same, but I think it's that blend of experience, understanding a guy like Malcolm Wilson, who literally we saw all the way through last year, he saved his money. He compromised last year completely to put everything forward to this year. And I do wonder whether that perhaps, you know, has, has maybe been one of the factors behind this car being so good. You know, both Toyota and Hyundai, up until middle of November, were mostly focusing on driver's titles and manufacturer's titles, whereas M Sport, their sole focus was building this new car and getting the new car right. Uh, well, you're, you're wincing, but, but I think there's a little bit of that. You know, there's a little bit of that's come into it. You know, the, all of the engineering resource, all of the spare capacity, if there was any, at M Sport went into that car where's the other two well they couldn't afford that luxury certainly they the other two like you say toyota hyundai had drivers absolutely engaged in championships and if you're going to tell somebody like sebastian auger or oit tanak or thierry neville elvin evans no sorry boys you know we're not doing a proper pre-event test here we're actually going to use this time to work on the 22 car not a chance not when they're in the heat of battle they want every single second in today's car that they're using on the rally tomorrow, um, that would definitely have made a difference. And the drivers at M Sport um, last season with, with Gus and with Adrian, they, were, they knew what they'd signed up for. Uh, and they'd signed up for a compromise season that was going to lead into potentially a, a fantastic season, which is what exactly the start they've delivered. Promising to be one, that's for sure. We, we, we have to talk about Gus Greensmith. We have to talk about Craig Breen. Uh, but let's start by talking about Adrian Formo. It's worrying. It really is. You know, he's a kid, an intelligent kid with bags and bags of potential. But there's a trend developing. You know, this trend that we saw starting in Ypres with a big crash in Ypres. He then had a big crash, didn't he, in Monza at the end of last year on tarmac again. And this one was a really big crash here in Monte Carlo. And for me, I noticed it last year. He's very impatient. He's very impatient. He wants to show us that he can win stages. He wants to show us where his pace is at. He is still an absolute junior. You know, he only got into a World Rally car in Croatia last year. And the thing that, that, that Adrian Formo has in his favour is he does have time. He doesn't have to be impatient. He does have a great deal with M-Sport and with Red Bull. He can learn his craft. We know that he will win stages. We know potentially he'll take podiums. He may end up in two or three years' time winning rallies. But he wants to do all that way too quickly. And what's happening? He's making stupid mistakes, really silly, stupid mistakes. Start a stage three of the Monte Carlo rally and you destroy your car. Almost, almost unforgivable and completely unnecessary. I agree with all of the above. He's, he is utterly impatient. He's desperately trying to run before he can walk, and it won't carry on for much longer. You know, he now, not of course... Malcolm it, Wilson in charge. Not with Malcolm Wilson, no. But what he's also done, immediately, he goes to Sweden under stress because of, of what's just happened. He then goes to Croatia, probably under even more stress because it's a, it's the first tarmac rally since another crash on tarmac. There, we're at, suddenly we're into round four before he can potentially have some sort of clear headspace to think about what he's doing you know he's he's so preoccupied with what he's just done and getting past that and driving sweden driving croatia and it's he just needs to to calm himself down to take a step That's back the job here george mm. um 
Adrian Formo's really frightening uh, smash down the hillside, uh, somehow injury free, which just shows how the construction of these magnificent machines has just come high and low. Now, we heard from Rich Milliner. One of the questions that was asked is why it looked so horrendous, why the car Mm. looked such a mess. Easy to explain. And it's to do with the space frame, yeah? Yes, it is. So basically, these these cars are now uh, scaled um, models of the real car. Um, They are space frame chassis, tubular space frame chassis, uh, designed by the team in its entirety with all the kinematics package around it. Uh, so that's different for every limiting. car. They don't have the same suspension travel that they used to have. In so, sorry, sorry, George. No, it's a different, sorry different, different so, space frame for each car, but 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 around okay. a similar set of constraints. Yeah. So they're only allowed so much wheel travel. There's you know there'll be geometrical limits as well, but there'll still be a lot of latitude within that for each team. And they're all building their own chassis. It's not one chassis. So they can get creative. Oh, they can yeah. get creative. Make no mistake about that. And they have done. Uh, but um, th- there's a limitation on it. But the main concept of this was to reduce the costs. Um, it is cheaper to, to build a space frame chassis, a simple space frame chassis, than it is to convert a road car into a rally car and strengthen it around accordingly. Now, that said... The traditional car chassis is a fabulously crushable structure. You can strengthen it and make it stronger to take repeated crush events as we get in rally, which is what traditionally is done with a rally car. But the roll cage is inside the car. So the roll cage is not, for instance, inside the door, the door skins or right round the front outside the wheels. So the opportunity to with these space frame cars to make a massive amount of extra crush zone between the impact points and the drivers has been huge. I mean, in some cases, they will have tripled or even quadrupled the difference, the distance from the the occupant to the initial point of impact in a crash. So that's a crushable zone. You know, it'll be it'll be mild steel type roll cages that give and absorb the, the impacts and they go off downhill. But the result is also that the bodywork on the car is literally just Fiber, fiber panels, whether they're fiberglass or carbon fiber or plastic, I don't know. But they are just panels. And they cut carbon panels. Carbon panels yeah, carbon just fiber. literally clipped onto the car, bolted, clipped, uh, riveted, whatever, onto the car. Now, this for me is a weak point in the car. Uh, and I know that the car looked terrible, but, but basically the, the, the passenger shell was, had a great deal of integrity. But here's my feeling is the old steel cars, when they crash... You've still got a steel roof and a steel floor underneath you. Now, these cars will have still sump guards on them, but we see sump guards getting ripped off. Uh, I, I quite like the idea of a steel skin that, that is um, has a monocoque element so it doesn't get stripped away. You know, we're going down through trees. There, you know, there could be a tree stump sticking up that... Well, yeah. The, the load, I mean, I, okay, I, I a roof's not going to necessarily stop that any more than a roll cage is, but, but I still just feel that, you know, there's brush that can come into the car that... that 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 well, type of thing. I, I was stops. thinking, I was thinking of the terrible accident, Craig Breen, and uh, the the fatal accident mm-hmm. for Gareth Roberts, where we actually saw the integrity of the car pierced, mm-hmm. and and a very similar thing around about the same time as well, involving Robert Kubitzer. Do, do these carbon? I'm guessing that they still are there to provide that um, well, not, job of preventing I'm, things from invading I'm into not, the space. I'm, but it, it has crossed my yeah, mind. I'm not sure that those those parts would stop that type of ingress but the whole point is that that type of accident that that poor gareth suffered has been has been taken into account in the design of these cars 
that you know one one of the weak points in the car was penetration from beneath and from in behind the wheel arch so that has been greatly i, I believe okay. greatly improved so yes we have seen a good step here great step from FIA uh, in, in, in that degree of integrity. I think we could have done it in a steel monocoque, but I think speaking to a couple of the teams, they seemed very happy with the change to this. They said there was a, a benefit in production time required and operational. They were all happy with the space frame chassis. So from my point of view, I accept that. Um, uh, the, the fact is that we've got the roll cages that the, the, were further away from the crew or the crew's further away from the, the start point of the roll cages. That's good. G good step. Yeah. Like it. Like it. Adrian Formo thought he had the edge over Gus, and, and Gus has just absolutely compiled his agony really here hasn't he with 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 a stage win and arguably gus's best ever performance no 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 uh, no argument absolutely no argument without any question gus greensmith's best performance you know adrian fomo took a stage win on the safari rally last year um it was a very calculated approach to that stage he took a cut knowing it was going to save him time but knowing there was every chance that yes he would take the quickest stage time he'll get a penalty for taking the cut later it doesn't matter in the history books, it goes down as a stage win for Adrian Formo. Gus Greensmith's stage win here was right in the heat of the battle. A very, very genuine stage win. Great pace from him. You know, if we talk about drivers having to show patience, Greensmith showed it last year. There was only so much he could do last year to improve his performance because of the limitations of the car and testing and all that. But he stuck at it. He stuck at it. Didn't really make too many mistakes and made small improvements. Formo could learn an awful lot from that because what Greensmith is showing now, and, and, and what Charles Greensmith, you know, Gus's dad said to us was, he's not doing anything different, you know? That little finger starts wagging at me again. You know, it's better than just interrupting, I suppose, the wagging finger. Give me the damn microphone. Elvin Evans. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you, spectators, for that one. That was a, a proper, I've, I've seen one of the websites describe it as an Italian job moment. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> parked, on, well, parked on the on the precipice. It's quite interesting there. That had to go to that that whole thing had to go to a steward's decision, um, because Elfin was quite yeah. clearly stuck there, and the safety the safety crews that were there, the the marshals, they couldn't yeah. let the spectators help him because he was just in too dangerous a position. You know, if anybody goes below the car to try and push it, and the car slips, oh, they gosh, could have yeah. been crushed. Another car could have come along and done exactly the same as thing as Elfin and slipped off the road. So the stage was stopped. That then allowed the safety crews to say, well, okay, the stage has been stopped. The spectators can come and help. And I didn't see any photographs of the car being pulled out, but generally speaking, you would attach a strap to the front of the car and you'll yeah, get about 20 yeah. people to, to pull it up the hill. That allowed Elfin to get out. So the stage was stopped because of him. He then benefited because it was stopped to let him out. And he drove around and, you know, he, he, he basically got 20 minute penalty because it, it took him 34 minutes to complete the stage instead of 14. Uh, so that's where that's where he got his time penalty from. But otherwise, he stayed in the rally. And there was a bit of a debate about whether he should be allowed to do that or not. Happily, he was, and, and, and as it should be, my interpretation yeah. of the rules w was just such as that. And I was actually having a debate with a number of people in responsible positions at that point. I was very heavily involved in this week's event, uh, following it and speaking to various people. So, yeah, it was the right thing to do, and I'm happy that it was. But uh, terribly bad luck for Elfin, but actually had a little bit of luck because he was allowed to continue. 
if he hadn't yeah. continued, he'd have got, uh, was it, you get, is it 10 minutes a stage or whatever, 10 minutes plus five. So, yeah, he would have, he would have ended up getting more penalty, I believe. From, from yeah. Gus. But forget yeah. learning from Gus. The guy he needs to learn from is Craig Breen. Is, you know, every step Craig Breen has come out with slowly, slowly, catchy monkey. That has to be Formo's mantra from here on in. Catchy, catchy, slowly monkey. How does that convert into French or translate into French? Because you, because you use Lully McGee. Why are you looking concerned at the recording device? No, it's okay. The recording device is working. No, I'm looking concerned that you, 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 you've been in a strange place for the last 12 hours. It's very odd. Say that again. Catchy, catchy, slowly monkey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you can speak French as well. Sorry to all of our French listeners. Apologies. <laughs> Do we have French listeners? Yeah, I'm sure we do. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right about about Craig Breen. Uh, you know, his performance as well and, and the way he went about the Monte Carlo rally, rally was completely exemplary. Finding it hard to say that word at this time in the morning. You know, he, he took a little while, took a little while just to, to, to find his feet with the car. And, and it wasn't a bad performance through the opening day and a bit, but he was matching times with, with Greensmith. Given, given, given that you do such a good... Southern Irish accent. Could you give us a little resume of Craig's? Yeah, I, 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 flat to the square right. Flat to the square right. Stage one. Stage one, Craig. Stage one. Don't worry about. Don't, don't worry about the mountains. Don't worry about the ice. Just flat to the square right. <laughs> I told you. I told you. That's square Chris, right. That's Chris Patton. I told you. Square right. <laughs> well, there we are. It's almost like having Chris and Paul. And a few others sitting in the car with us. Almost, almost, but not quite. Uh, no, no, I, I was impressed by Breen, but I'm always impressed yeah. by him. You know, there was, there was no panic. There was no um, embarrassment. There was nothing. He, okay, so, so I'm matching times with, with drivers who perhaps are considered to be junior to me, but that doesn't matter because I'll build my pace. And that's what he did. And come Sunday, when drivers were still pushing hard at the front, we saw, you know, the kind of Craig Breen that we wanted to see. Great times. And yet another podium, David. It's an incredible run of form that he's on just now. It is an incredible run of form. What I'm thinking of doing now, I won't wag the finger. Back to square right. What I might do is blow the horn when I'm ready. He's got the... Here we go. Horn! I have something to say. I was impressed with Craig throughout the event, but particularly impressed through Sunday when he, he was in no man's land. And and he could have, but he could still have made a mistake. But he looked absolutely rock solid. And again, not many, not much experience. Not been in Monty since 2018. He is the kind of driver who can really build a championship through this year. We've talked again, bloody blah, blah, consistency, reliability. If he can get the reliability from the Puma, and the early indications are, it is absolutely there. You have to consider that Breen is is right in there with a chance at a title. Look, you know, you know that Puma has shown that it will give, it will give those boys a chance of winning the title, the manufacturers and the drivers. And and you'd have to say if if Greensmith continues to improve, uh, you know, his form and, and if he can get fifth, fourth, so even podiums, and that's what he's targeting this year. And and Breen can step up, take a few wins. The manufacturers is a real possibility, and the drivers. For Breen, yeah, why not? Absolutely, why not? If he continues this way, uh, well, who haven't we talked about, David? We haven't talked about Hyundai, but <laughs> we have a very important date in six minutes. And and my thingy is saying at our six minutes, we've got a seven minute walk to make, so we've got to run. We haven't got a seven minute walk to make. It's across the road. We have no, you're wrong. I'm sorry, it was seven minute walk. So we 
I think we have to go. We have to talk about Hyundai. That could be a podcast on its own. Almost at the start of the event, you'd say that would be the normal theory. Oh, yeah, can't get going in the morning because he's not got the right setup. Get back to lunchtime service. The car will be tweaked. Out he'll come and go fast like you can't believe. Now, of course, there was no lunchtime service on the Friday. He, 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 the, 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 obviously, the Thursday night was the same. They didn't manage to tweak the car. We're missing development there. Ot Tanak had a, had similar comments and similar pace issues, so you wouldn't. It wasn't the normal Thierry not quite got the car right out the box on rally morning, but then you know loses forty seconds up to first service and then blitz the field comes back to win at the end of the rally. It wasn't one of those scenarios. Bad news for Hyundai team. Just lack of development. I hope Lisa. I'm expecting and hoping that's all that is. I'm expecting and hoping they come back strongly Have in, in Sweden, having had a little bit more testing, a little bit more time to test. They must have testing up their sleeve. Uh, well, they've got their deputy director in charge. Um, again, nominally, I know that uh, Colin and David have commented on the headless chicken aspect of the team. Um, I'm I, I disagreed with that in our preview comment. And, and But I will now concede that it, it would seem that they're a little bit right there. There's a little bit more needs to be done. Uh, the hardest thing for me to watch all weekend was was Oliver Solberg, who who had this terrible fumes in the car. And on the Saturday, uh, by the Saturday, he was actually complaining publicly, very loudly, about how he was struggling. Um, if I was a team boss, as soon as my driver has said that publicly, you are... So there's two things going on there. Either he's saying to me as the team manager, yeah, it's okay, I can continue. Well, why are you saying to all the press and all the public how difficult it is? You know, you're trying to make yourself look a hero. I don't think Oliver's doing that. I think he was actually in trouble there. I, I genuinely think he was in trouble and he shouldn't have continued. The team eventually had to pull him. And then you heard the acerbic comments that Thierry Neuville made about the fact that he couldn't continue because of a little problem. Well, I'm sorry, Thierry. That was a that was okay. It was he was still wearing his overalls at the end of the event. He'd given his all. No, he wasn't playing with mind games. I think he was just the frustration of the weekend was just coming to the fore. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to side with Colin and David on this, and I think they do need uh, a little bit of a leadership uh, adaption there to try and get to. I suspect there's not too much to fix there. It's just a question of focus get in on the right things, uh, get those drivers settled into the car, get the car right. You know, I'd, I'd actually, uh, I mean, I'd, I don't know how much testing they've had. I do know that the previous car was never, never put into the liking of Ottanak. He got some incredible results and then other times he just couldn't make it go. Uh, Thierry seemed to be able to make it go on every single rally he went to but not necessarily for the whole rally. He would have lapses at the start and then he would come good towards the finish. I think that old Hyundai was difficult to drive. Seb Loeb couldn't drive it. He couldn't get the best out of it either. I sincerely hope that we've not got another one of those cars here in this era. I am sure. Now, I mean, Christian Lorio's involved there, but I think he came late to this project. I don't know how much of his stamp is on that car. But I'd like to think that that car was good and it just needs a little bit of sorting out. And that's where I'm going to have to go to. Does the team need a bit more direction and, and steering? Uh, possibly, yes. Um, I, I don't know how it works inside that team. For me, it's um, it's just a matter of understanding whoever whoever's going to do it, understanding all the elements. 
reassuring the team that we're, we're, we're going to do it right, reassuring the drivers, most importantly, that we're going to give them... I mean, there's the end game. You know, if you were the team boss there, you want to be able to go to those drivers at the start and say, right, guys, this is where we are. You know, OK, our car is not 100%, but it's now 98%. So you're not going to be able to give the all where it's incredibly narrow and fast and twisty on loose, loose asphalt, dirty surfaces. But everywhere else you're going to go to it. So I need you to survive in those areas and drive the rest. And and our side of the bargain is we will admit to the, the public, we will admit to the press that we're, you know, we've still got some development to do to the car and we'll take it forward. So we'll get the drivers so that they know they're blameless. I mean, Thierry's such a focused team player. I mean, the guy, that guy ultimately has had so much out. He's, he's managed to wring so much out of his, those Hyundais. What an incredible team player. And he's, he's and I, I actually genuinely start to feel he's not getting a fair shake of the stick there now, you know. I mean, if, if he was driving a, 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 a Puma this weekend, where would he have been? You know, would he have finished two minutes in front of everybody? I mean, an incredibly determined, an incredibly determined effort. So, yeah, um, that team needs a little bit of reassurance in its, in its you know, there's, there's nothing catastrophically broken there, but... It, you don't need things to be off kilter by much for it to end up in the situation it's in, and that's where they are. So yeah, a little bit, a little bit to do there for them. I'm sure they'll get they'll they'll get it sorted out. They'll they'll have the wherewithal, or they'll 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 create the mechanism to pull that team into the right place to get somebody in to reassure all the team members that we're you know we're going in the right direction to keep making these efforts and then to focus it to focus in on. What does this actually need? And with their drivers, it's quite clearly a little bit difficult. I think Ott just drives a car. It's either right or wrong. I'm not quite sure how much input Ott can make to the engineers to get what he needs. Maybe they need new engineers there. I don't know. Maybe they do. I'm, I'm suspecting they don't, but maybe they do. Maybe that's the common factor. But that needs to be identified, Lisa, and it needs to be it needs to be addressed. And those drivers need to be so how, how come just about every single rally we go to, apart from one or two a year, Terry goes to and he has a disastrous first morning? That has to be stopped. Now, for all Colin's talk about uh, Andrea Adama, who, who a great character, I only really met the man once or twice, and he pretty nice guy, quite genuine, but he never got that sorted out for Thierry. Thierry was still having those difficulties. Is that on Thierry or is it on the team? Because all of a sudden, magically at lunchtime, the engineers had tweaked the car to how Thierry wanted it. Yeah. Now, is, is that is that is that fragility from Thierry or is it genuinely the team getting it wrong? If the team's getting it wrong every morning up to lunchtime, crikey, if I was a team manager, I, I wouldn't be going around blustering. I would be pulling the guys very quietly aside, the people concerned and saying, let's just sit down and talk about this. Not having it. It can't continue. This is ridiculous. We've got the solution. So let's just jump ahead to lunchtime on the on the Friday, on the, you know, on the first day and figure out where we've gone wrong. We've got lots of history there, you know, root cause failure analysis, something I love doing in, in my current job in the oil industry and in, in looking after engines and things. Um, but crikey, you know, get on with it. it. It can't continue. They've got to give those drivers a better car, give themselves a chance in the championship. Monte Carlo. Okay, it can happen. I mean, you could get, even if you had the best car in the world, you could get a result like you got on this event and still be world champions. But they've got to go to Sweden and they've got to be having two cars in the top four there to get themselves back on the back on the horse. Otherwise, it's going to be an awful tough year. Have we got-
got minutes to talk about Ion now. We are going to bring you a very special, a very special podcast later on, a bonus podcast later on. Is this the end of our podcast then, David? Are you saying we're going to end the podcast without talking about the wars? <laughs> we're going to be late. Let me speak. We're going to be late. We have to sign off here, but we do have a very special podcast that actually will be very high and eye focused. It'll be coming out a day, a day or two later, later this week. Yeah, there we go, folks. All right. Well, David Evans has decided to call it time. So that was our thoughts on the Monte Carlo Rally. We will be discussing more on the birth of the Rally One cars and the start of the season. But for now, that's all for this episode of Spin the Rally Pod. If you like what you hear, why not subscribe and let the podcast do the hard work and come to you? Join us next time. Thank you.